Welcome to Thrive at Work, the podcast that brings trends, insights, and practical tips to help employers attract, develop, and retain great people. Here, you'll find inspiring conversations with experts in their field and companies doing amazing work to shape a future where people can thrive. Hello, and welcome to Thrive at Work. Today's discussion focuses on men's well-being within the workplace. I'm really delighted to be joined today by Zane McCormack, founder of The Assured Man. Having worked with the police for many years, witnessed examples of poor mental health in men and suffered his own experience of burnout, Zane helps professional men build resilience and beat burnout. From burnout prevention to burnout recovery, Zane coaches men to build resilience and coping strategies and thrive again within the workplace. So welcome, Zane. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you, Polly, for for inviting me. It's good to be here. Thank you. So employee well-being in general, I think, has generally risen up the business agenda in recent years, which is fantastic. And on this podcast, I've covered, I've had guests covering topics, including women's health, such as menopause and fertility um, journey for those struggling to conceive. And so I'm really interested in this discussion today because we're going to be focusing on men's well-being in particular. So thank you. I really appreciate your uh, your input and, and being with here with me today. So Zane, why is this an important topic to you and how have you come to be doing what you're doing today? Um, I think for me, um, the, the, the importance came from when I had my own um, issues with burnout probably just over three years ago now, um, and just how debilitating it was. But the, the thing that struck me, though, um, was once I was through my my, my episode, uh, just re- reflecting on back on the years leading up to the, to the incident, um, I just realised just how damaging it had been to my to, to everything, just um, how impactful it had been on my, on my personal life, on my professional life, um, and just how it, you know, it effectively robbed me of probably five productive years. Um, and it was that sort of realization that really sort of triggered to you know getting me to where I am now. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And so, what what sort of happened in the run up to the the sort of what happened with you? If you don't mind, I'm um, explaining a bit more about you know could it have been preventable? What were the sort of signs, or were there any triggers in the run up to what happened? No, oh, absolutely. I don't mind sharing my story at all because it's one that's pretty common, really, with with, with guys my age. I'm sort of you know I'm not. Not the spring chicken anymore, and, and I think a lot of men reach a point in their life where sort of a lot, of, a lot of change happens. And for me, it was um, it was divorce, um, you know, a massive upheaval in my in my personal situation. Um, and then obviously with, with work, I'd be I've been a police officer for around fifteen years. Um, I'd be moving on to diff- different roles and applying for different positions. And what I found was is that, and what I found quite uncomfortable was that I just had a um a general sort of um degrading really of my my cognitive abilities, my my reasoning, my 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 how how I was coping with, with stresses and found myself pretty much running on limp mode um for the best part of five years um and, it, and we and, and at the time I had no idea what it was I mm. just assumed I just assumed it was just just, just how it was um I, I made excuses all the signs were there but just wrote them off as as, as something else you know we, we, I spoke about the um the feelings of overwhelm that I was having um, and I just put it down to the fact that I just had a very, very busy life. Um, work was obviously as stressful as it is, but but no stressful than any other any other role that other people are in. 
had issues going on personally, but again, you know, nothing more than anybody else doesn't deal with. So you just sort of push them under, push them away and, and just, just get on with it. And all that was happening was, is there was just a, a slow degradation of, um, of, of what was happening. Um, mm. Yeah, and, and the physical signs there as well. But again, a lot of the sim symptoms and signs you had um, in, in regards to the issues with digestive issues, put down to the shift work, to the, to the coffee I was drinking to, to manage the shift work. Um, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the anxiety symptoms I was having. But again, every every sign that came along, I sort of pushed off and, and tripped to something else. And it wasn't until you know, I, had, I was forced to take time off work. I had about three months off in the end. Um, and then I sat down and you know, burnout was identified as the issue. And then looking into the issues around burnout, everything made sense. And I was just an absolute walking cliche. A walking cliche, as in, tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah, a walking cliche. Yeah, and we talk about um, really the, the the big thing I could describe it as would be just not myself. Um, you know, the the irritability, um, the, the you know, not being able to concentrate, and on, and on the back of that, you know, professionally, it meant that I you know applied for a role. I got through to the assessment stage. It was quite a um high pressure sort of situation with with the course, and I failed the course. Um, and it came as a surprise to myself. It came as a surprise to a lot of people that knew me because the skills that were required um, for, for the role um, were were my bag. You know, I, I came from a, a sporting background. Um, so the you know the, the teamwork elements, the, um, the the processing sort of you know dynamic risk assessments and the rest of it and you know making you know quick sound operational decisions, that was what I was all about. Mm. And I found myself in a situation where I just couldn't do it. Stuff wasn't sticking. And I, I wasn't able to retain the information and I wasn't able to, to express myself. But do you think it was down to that cognitive ability that you mentioned just before, the reduction in your sort of abilities in that way, brain yep. fog and, and inability to retain information? Are they sort of typical signs of burnout? Absolutely. And burnout is, is defined really as just the, you know, the inability to cope with workplace stress, um, you know, not, not managing workplace stress effectively and all that happens is your body just slowly gets overwhelmed um, and what happens is it's like any sort of stress um, reaction your body goes into a into a in, into an instinctive stress reflex um, the four of them being sort of fight flight born and the other one that people don't sort of understand that very well is people pleasing um, so those are your four sort of instinctive um, reactions and you tend to you know and if you're not if it's not been recognized you're not dealing with it properly you, you'll just definitely fall back onto those and your body just slowly goes into limp mode. Um, so all the all the the abilities and all the cognitive sort of mm. agility that you normally have slowly get shut down because you're just you're overwhelmed and you're just trying to deal with what you've what what, what you have in front of you. Mm, right. So you said fight, flight. What was the fight, third one? Fawn. Fawn. Fawn, which is um, it's just literally just just going limp. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, in the face of overwhelming stress or overwhelming sort of worry, that people just sort of collapse into a wet mass would probably be the easiest way to describe it. Okay. Yeah, you know, as, as opposed to sort of fighting or flight, you know, there's, there's just okay. no action. Okay. Ah, okay. I think I've heard that described as freeze before. Yeah. Yeah. Freeze. Yeah. Yeah. And people pleasing. I hadn't. I hadn't considered that one. Yeah, people pleasing. Um, you know, you know, because people do find conflict quite stressful. Mm. Um, and you know, and if you're in a situation where where there's disagreements, or you, you need to sort of come to some sort of consensus within within a, within a group, um, it does take a lot of emotional energy sometimes to to be able to sort of you know put your you know stand your ground, put your case across. And when you're burning out, or you're in, you know you're in the later stages of burnout, you just don't have the emotional resilience to be able to to, to fight your corner. 
So mm-hmm. a lot of times it's you know it's the, it's, it's the easier route taken, which is people pleasing, mm-hmm. agreeing, hoping that by sort of diffusing the situation by just being amenable and shrinking away and becoming a shrinking violet. Right. Um, mm. and, which for me was, um, and I found myself doing that, and which was which was crazy because I'm I'm six foot four, I'm a seventeen stone former rugby player, you know, who gets dressed up like a looking like a, a, a paratrooper every day in black with all the all the equipment hanging off me, and you and I'm finding myself behaving like that. Well, you say that, but actually, I wonder if there's something in that, you know, the work that we do or that men do, is there some sort of societal pressure or expectation through work that, you know, that work puts on you or perhaps that men put on themselves? I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, you know, I think, when you, you know, you, I mean, the role is obviously becoming a lot more blurred now, but you talk about masculine and feminine attributes within the workplace. And it's almost expected that, that men will be the ones that will be stepping up and sort of, you know, not so much, you know, metaphorically banging the fist on the desk, but not actually sort of doing it. And there is a sort of a, you know, there is a real pressure to sort of to be trying and to keep that facade up, you know, and any, any sort of, you know, any sort of signs of weakness or any sort of signs that you're not coping that you're as, as well as you could be can be seen as as, as a weakness and sort of um, something to be concerned about. Mm. And yeah, and we talk about sort of, um, especially men in positions of responsibility, um, the the you know have. You know, responsibility for, for staff and probably don't have the support network of colleagues on you know uh, uh, from their cohort to be able to to, to, to fall back on mm, right so um what sort of um you know coping strategies could uh you know in your example or or men that you've witnessed you know experiencing poor mental health and burnout what sort of coping strategies could have been put in place earlier in order to um, avoid or build the resilience so that you don't get to that point of burnout? A massive, massive one for me was just awareness. I had no idea what had happened to me until three months after my, you know, I was off. I still had, you know, I, I had time off. Um, my body physically stopped me. Um, mm. it, it, yeah. And I, and I think if I'd known three months, you know, sort of three years previous that I was burning out and that, the symptoms that I was experiencing were burnout. You know, they weren't just, you know, tiredness from from having to work night shifts and, you know, general stress from dealing with, um, you know, awkward characters. I mean, was that the nature of policing, we come into contact with people that don't really want to want, want us to be there. Um, yeah. yeah, but if I'd been told that no, those aren't these aren't normal um, symptoms, and all all, the, all maybe in isolation, one or two of them would could be explained away. Um, but when you've got sort of four or five or six different symptoms all manifesting at the same time that's a symptom of something a, a lot bigger than just your immediate situation mm, so awareness is a big a big thing awareness is absolutely the key and then what about coping strategies to then once you're aware and you think oh something's going on here it's not quite right what would you then recommend in terms or advise in terms of coping strategies or trying to get things back on um on track so to speak the big thing with it is it's all about how you manage your stress, and that's a an entirely personal um, attribute that you have. Um, not everyone's able to manage it as well as you do, and it's and we and we talk about stress being a um, being a good thing. We need stress in order to to survive and to get ahead, and and especially in, in, in roles that the burnout sort of tends to affect. Because the, the big point I make with a lot of guys that I work with is that burnout um, is the affliction of the strong. You need to have a certain level of resilience and a certain level of capability 
to get to the point in the first place where burnout's going to affect you. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people I dealt with um, who were our regular callers were sort of, you know, were, were, were people that were never going to be suffering from burnout because as soon as they had a, had a bump in the road, they were, they were, they were tipping over and they were, they were picking the phone up and they were trying to find someone to help either calling the emergency services or calling friends, family and, and, and the rest of it. Um, but the person that is going to get to a point where they're physically burning out because it is a physical situation. It's not, you know, it, it tips over from being sort of, you know, dealing with mental skills. It does become a physical, uh, manifest itself physically. Those people are normally the high achievers. They're the ones that are able to push through all the, all the, all the initial all the initial sort of symptoms without without it really bothering them. Mm. It's only when they get, you know, it's only when they're operating at the level they're operating at that, that affects them like it does. Mm. Okay, thank you. Um, how much of a issue is this? Do we have any statistics around, um, you know, how how many men, I suppose, does this um, affect? And also, I wonder, do you think this has increased over recent years? Or is it just that we're talking about it more and there's more awareness? What do you think? I think we're talking about it a lot more. I think um, it's been the perfect storm, really, um, we're between... Generational change, I think, for my parents' generation, I think, well, I think they're colloquially termed boomers. I think that generation didn't have the stresses that we had. Um, it didn't have, they weren't existing in a, in a, in a 24-hour-7 environment. They, you know, they, they had their work, but there was a quite a clear demarcation between when they closed the door in the office and went home and mm. work didn't follow them home. You know, they didn't have the devices coming home with them. And, you know, and society was pretty much set up running nine to five Monday to Friday. So weekends were time for your leisure, for your, for your sport, for your family, um, and, and, and for the rest of it. And then you went into work again. So I think you've got the boomers sort of finishing up and, and, and you know, dropping out of the workplace. You then got a lot of the younger sort of um, cohorts coming through that have, have a slightly different attitude to it and, and what they're doing. But and then, and then, and then lockdowns hit. And I think lockdown gave a lot of people just the first opportunity they've had in a generation to sit still and mm. just reflect on what what was actually important. All of a sudden, mm. you know, all our norms were, were, were tossed up and down in the air. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a lockdown just changed everything. We had a lot of people sitting down, reassessing what's actually important. Um, and yeah, and, and and what's happened now is that that and for the last ten years, there's been a big push in the workplace. Um, people being told it's okay not to be okay, um, speak up, and people are. People are recognising mm. they're not coping, and that they, they, they you know, they, they have been putting their hand up. Right. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, I can so easily imagine, like, like your example, people think, oh, something's not quite right, but you put it down to something else, and you just keep going, and you just keep pushing on until your body one day just says, no, you're going to stop now. And I can just imagine that scenario. So. What are some common, I suppose from an employment perspective, I always feel that prevention is better than cure. So if we can take action earlier, you know, we can prevent these episodes from happening. Potentially, we can prevent people from going on long term um, sick, potentially. Um, and it's just better all around if we can take earlier action and prevent, you know, take preventative action. So from an employment perspective, what signs do you think employers should be looking for perhaps? Um, you know, if they're looking to identify signs of burnout in men? I think productivity drop-off, that's a big thing. Um, and not treating them initially as a disciplinary um, um, situation. 
that mm. she, you know, that, and and it's a difficult line to tread because there's always going to be issues where you know where disciplinary would be the appropriate way to be to be dealing with it. Mm. But I think the first thing they need to be thinking of is think burnout. You know, rule burnout out, rule burnout out first. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So yeah, so look look at it and see if it, if it's out of character for the um for the for the employee. Mm. See how you know, and, and not so much having direct conversations with them, but just start to start watching how how they are, how they are with their with their colleagues. If they're if they're withdrawing a little bit, social withdrawal is a is a, is a big is a big deal, and it's something I I struggled with, sort of um, withdrawing from friends and family for for a couple of years while I was just trying to get through everything I was getting through. And it, and it's just really educating yourself on what burnout looks like, um, and taking the time to. And so the the, the big thing I'd say, number one thing would be is if you do have issues with with performance at work. Think burnout. It may not be burnout, but think burnout first, because by piling in and treating it as a disciplinary, it's probably only going to you know, make things worse. Mm. Yeah, particularly if it's out of character and there have been no previous performance issues, it no. does it does make sense that there's going to be something else going on. So it makes sense to delve into that first, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. Just, and, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And also, don't don't just think um you know work performance as well. I mean, just try and if you, it's it's difficult. You don't want to pry too much into, into personal situations, but just try and try and find out whether there's been any major change in their um, in their personal circumstances. You know, mm. change their um their relationship status or issues with with family members. You know, because you know don't ever underestimate the um the power of change to upset and to and to, dis mm. and to disrupt. Mm. Yeah. Well, I I think it comes down to that relationship between a manager and their their employee anyway, doesn't it? Because if you get if you if you know your people, you know what's normal for them. Um, are they usually quite quiet, or actually are they normally quite loud and outgoing? But they've with they've started to withdraw and become a bit quieter, or are they acting a bit differently? But it all comes down to having that relationship in the first place. Because if you don't know your person, you're not going to recognise these sort of signs of when they're starting to behave a little bit differently. Exactly that, because burnout won't manifest itself in one you know major incident. It's it's the um it's the boiling frog analogy, and if and by the time they're presenting. It's probably been bubbling away for, for quite some time. Mm. So mm. The, it's, it's just a, a general slow degradation of your ability, and, 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 yeah. and so yeah. you're not. It's not one one have just happened. They'll be dealing with whatever they've been dealing with for, for quite some time. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. And um, you were just starting to talk about coping strategies and finding, you know, what it's quite personal, isn't it? And finding yeah. what works for you. So um, what are some common um, coping strategies that you might recommend just in general? Um, the big thing, yeah, yeah, the big thing is to understand that stress is normal. Um, we all have it and, and we need it to, to function. Um, but in order for stress to be effective and to make good use of it, um, you need to include your rest with it as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, and the, and the formula we use is stress plus rest equals strength or progress. So you need the, both of them and working in tandem. So there's no such thing as too much stress. It's not enough rest. Um, and it's just about making sure that you are able to switch off. And where the coaching comes into it, that's where we would explore what you do to switch off. Because mm. this, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, I, I could sit here for, and, and go on about strategies all, all, all morning. But what, it, what the key to it is finding out what works for you. Mm -hmm. Because for some people, I mean, journaling is a classic example. I mean, journaling can be very, very effective. You're getting thoughts down, take them out of your head. And get them down on paper and then putting the um journal away mm. but a lot of people aren't really particularly fussed about journaling it doesn't really sort of engage them mm. so the, the, and so for quick fixes 
But the first one would be to sort your sleep out because your sleep is when you get your, your most effective rest. Mm. And that's, and um, so sleep not only you know, provides you with your rest, it also provides your brain a chance to shut down more of the external stimulus that, you, that you, you're experiencing and process what's gone on in the last waking, waking period. Mm-hmm. And when people say they wake, you know, still feeling sort of restless and still feeling tired, why, why that's happening is they just haven't processed the day before. So you've got everything from the day before not tucked away and dealt with. You're then going to work, experiencing everything else that you've got that gets piled on that, piled on that, piled on that. And if you're not dealing with, and it's not been effectively flushed away, then you're going to get the cumulative effect um, and, and, and burn up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Yep. Rest and sleep. Brilliant. Anything else? Um, yeah. Just start taking a look at your life. Start trying to cut compartmentalize it um a lot of the times we you know we, we can't get away from stress at work and stress is going to be a bit of an energy you know work is always going to be a bit of an energy, energy drainer but mm. just start looking at other parts of your life where they can we can start adding to, to your energy um so if you look at your three 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 parts of your life your your professional your personal and your social so you've got obviously the, the interaction you have with your friends um as your social you may have a hobby that you do people you see try and, and make sure that you when you when you're with them that the people that, that add to what you're doing that aren't mm. taking away from you and then when you get home just you know just be mindful be conscious be present making sure that when, you, when you're there again you, your home situation isn't isn't causing mm. isn't causing as well and that can flip around as well if work's fine and you're coping with work and it's the home life that's causing the issues make sure when you're at work you're managing your work environment so that it's not causing you any more undue stress than, than it needs to um, understand how you work um, it's not healthy to or, or realistic for people to be sitting there for eight hours switched on the entire time, no. little breaks and meaningful breaks. Um, a big tip uh, we give is hydration. Um, and while you know, everyone understands the benefits of drinking, what it also does is if you can use it as a bit of a reference point as well. If every hour or so you've, or you've got a bottle sat there, when you pick the bottle up, it's not just hydrating. You're actually thinking, right, I'm, I'm having a break. Is a, is a, a as a moment just to take yourself away from what you're doing mm. and, and when, when you're hydrating have something you like thinking about it might, you know just, just and what, what 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 it does it just switches the brain off from what you what you're dealing with and re-engage another part of it that's that you're doing so whether that's you know it's thinking about the holiday you might be planning or a sports mm. team that you follow so that, you know just just use that moment to take yourself away from you know mentally away from what you're doing before bringing yourself back again those little micro breaks can be can be can be really beneficial Mm, yeah absolutely excellent thank you um so how important do you think is the idea of psychological safety for men to feel able in the workplace to say that they're not feeling okay or they need support or whatever it is that they might need no it's absolutely vital no it's um yeah no yeah the idea of psychological safety just underpins everything that manages um, should be aspiring to when when they're talking to their staff, mm. and that comes from an understanding that both staff and management are both speaking the same language. So, mm. all very often, what I've seen is that there'll be a lot of work going out there talking to employees about it being okay, not to be okay. This is how you speak, but managers haven't taken those messages on board. No. So you know, so so employees will put their hand up. They'll come to a manager. Um, they'll be speaking about what's going on, but if the manager isn't au fait with the language that they're using. It can, it, you know, it can shut, you know, and the and the and the reaction they get isn't what the, the employee was looking for. 
and cause you know the, the, the person to shut down, disengage, and go back into the um, back into themselves. So employees do need to know that they can speak. And like I say, and the, and the big, and that comes back to my, the first point I made: if someone is speaking to you, think burnout. Don't be thinking. Don't be thinking performance. Don't be thinking disciplinary. Think burnout first. You can discount that, then move on to the next stages. If we can put burnout at the forefront of what what, what managers are thinking, it would make mm. you know make make those conversations a lot easier. Interesting. Thank you. So I, I do think that being a manager of people is a really hard job because you don't know what what you're going to get when someone knocks on the door. Yep. You don't know what someone's going to say, and your response to what someone says can make such an impact. And as you say, it can really t- if it's if it's not in the right tone or um or um in the right sort of language, you can really turn somebody off. And it's that trust and confidence, I think, isn't it, between someone and their manager and the trust that they are going to, you know, get your have your back effectively or, you know, really try and help and support you. And of course, there is that confidence issue as well in terms yeah. of confidentiality, but also having confidence that they they are there for you and that they, you know, they're definitely trying to support you rather than feel that, you know, oh, well, if you've declared something, then um, you might be, you know, next on the chopping block, so to speak. So it's having that yeah. sort of trust. So, yeah, so it's really hard. And a lot of managers aren't, don't receive, you know, um, enough training really in this oh. area. And, and and the big thing with it is a lot of the comments that are made are made with the best of intentions. You know, the managers, you know, they're, they're there, they're, they're struggling themselves how to how to address it. Um, and all of the, the all I would say is, don't try and offer any solutions. You know, and, and what what's and I think as humans we want to be empathetic with someone. If someone comes to us and, and gives us a problem, we we want to be empathetic. And say, well, actually, I had the same sort of situation, so that sort of develops a, a bit of the trust. But what I would say is try and be try not to do that. It, the best piece of advice I can give is someone comes to you and they're feeling a little bit vulnerable, is just give them that space, allow them to speak. And say you understand, but don't try and sort of inject your story into it as well. Because the other thing is with it, um, with, with burnout, is you do become very introspective, and you are sort of in your own your own little world. And what people want to hear is that you, you can that they understand. And that's it. They don't, you know, they're not interested in solutions at that point. They just want to just they just want to be heard, and they want to. And so the, the best piece of advice I can give is just listen. And yeah, don't don't try and, and a lot of what men will do as well is they will try and sort of minimise what's happening. Well, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a bit rough, but you know that what happened to me is nothing compared to what's you know we see on the TV with high-profile cases of guys that are struggling with stuff, and you know, my issues aren't anywhere near as, as bad as that. So why am I feeling like this? And you, you can't minimise that. Everyone's experience is their own, and you know if you're burning out, you're burning out. It doesn't matter what's caused it, you're still at, at that level. And, and, and people just need to be heard and understand that uh, it's, it's, it's a valid reason. Mm. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Great, thank you. Um, so uh, can you give us some examples of, you know, how you've worked with clients um, and, you know, how you've helped them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one in particular is probably a great example. Um, and I say he's a senior manager, quite a high flyer. Um, and on the, on the basis, on, on, on the face of it, a very successful man. Um, what a lot of people didn't know was that, you know, there was a lot of issues going on at home. And his, um, his partner was experiencing a few uh, some quite personal sort of um, issues, which was causing him to have issues 
at work. So what the normally the, the normal normally stressful job he had at work was all of a sudden becoming a little bit, a bit overwhelmed. Mm. And he's bringing that work home because he didn't have the bandwidth really to, to cope with what he could have otherwise normally coped with. Um, so really, the, the first thing I had to do was just make him understand that what was happening at home we couldn't you know we couldn't help with that. But what we could do was make sure that work wasn't taking any more from him than it, than it could. So he did have the um the, the the resilience when he got home to deal, to deal with the situation there. Hmm. So it was just about it, not even not even addressing the things at home and, and just looking at the other two parts of his life, looking at his social side of it because he you know, did his own mission for last year. He had been withdrawing from you know he had been quite a social guy. He'd been involved in sort of you know five side team that he was you know sacking off every other week. Now he was sort of you know, unavailable. And just getting him to re-engage with his with his friends and family, um, and then looking at minimising the, the stresses at work, so that when he was going home in the situation they were dealing with, he was able to be the be the be the you know, be the partner he he, he wanted to be. And mm. a lot of that, you know, and, and the fact that he wasn't being able to, and he was struggling himself, you know, there's a lot of guilt around that. So mm. yeah, and so with the strategies we put in place in regards to getting him back, you know, re-engaging with the social with the social life. And some of the strategies for, for work meant that he was better equipped to to cope with what's happening at home, and so that everything wasn't spilling over into the other parts of his life. Hmm. Yeah, I find it really interesting when things are, you know, a bit of a struggle. One of the things that first disappears is self care. Yeah. And I find that really interesting because when you're up against it, really, you need to be as strong and as well as you can be really in order to face this difficult situation whatever it is I do find that a bit a bit strange but quite interesting but and yeah. I think being intentional about it and being aware about it is probably the first step because then you can start doing things about it and as you said before you know making sure that you do get rest you do have breaks you are sleeping you uh you are keeping hydrated it's just it's quite interesting that we almost go back to basics in that scenario no, that's it, and it is, and it's, and it's basic coaching. It was about providing that accountability. It was sitting mm. down, you know, understanding what he needed to be doing, you know, mm. working out a plan with him. So this is this is not mentoring. This is not me telling him what to do. He, you know, he's a very sort of motivated, intelligent man. So he knew what he needed to do, but it was just mm. sitting down with someone and articulating that, and him, him producing a plan, and then providing that accountability sessions each, each week and sort of seeing how they are, what's working, what's not. You know, much the way a, a coach would work with an athlete, sort of you know, reassessing what's how how the week's gone, what yeah. worked, what didn't, what needs yeah. a bit of tweaking. Hmm. It was interesting when you started talking about him that you described him as a high flyer, and yeah. on the face of it, quite a successful person, which made me think, well, well, how do you define success then? And I suppose it's different for everybody, isn't it? And um, I just think that was quite interesting because presumably our perception of somebody being successful doesn't necessarily mean that they are happy or content or healthy or actually doing particularly well in other areas of their lives. It's just quite an interesting concept. Yeah. And the, and the, the other concept too is, you know, he, he had responsibility for a large team that all were looking to him for guidance, for, for support. And a, a big thing as well we talk about with rest is sometimes people just need a rest from decision-making when when you when you are there and you are the you know you're the you're the manager the person that people are looking to for guidance but they're coming to you to solve problems having mm. you know having to do that every day is, is exhausting mm. and just being able to manage that manage people's expectations around that can sometimes be the difference between you know, keeping on top of it and having things having things slipping 
Yes, indeed. Yes, and that's huge responsibility. And and, uh, and, and it's lonely at the top. You know, you, you're there. Everyone's looking to you. Who who, who do you look to? Mm. And he, he you know he gave the, you know the, the, the perfect analogy. He talked about you know I'm on, on the proverbial swan. So I'm, I'm sat there in my desk in my office, looking like the calm swan, sort of gliding along. Sort of everyone coming to me is the, you know, and the reality is I'm I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm there with my little, my little feet under the water, sort of paddling mm. as fast as I can, trying to just trying to stay still. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Great, thank you. Um, but also, I think you know he, the way he interacts with his team. There could be lessons learned there, couldn't there? Because he's got his own issues going on. You know, I'm not saying that he needs to tell his team everything about it. But isn't it interesting? I think that leading by example is very important. And to say, you know, I, I'm yeah, I'm not having a great week, but I'm going to make sure that I'm go for a walk at lunchtime. I'm going to make sure that I do this, that, and the other. Just opening up slightly almost makes it okay for other people to do that as well really. exactly and, and he said it's difficult because he you know it's the case of and, and the other thing is too he had a lot of insights as well into sort of coping strategies that he's able to pass on to his team um but he also had to say look you know do, you know do as i say not as i do because he was there sort of advocating not bringing your work home um and and all the other strategies but he's very very aware that he wasn't practicing what he's preaching himself so he said just getting that having that extra level of accountability and, and someone to, to to bounce off just made all the difference and be able to do it himself mm. so has he stopped doing that now taking work home and no and, and and that's the problem like i say it was about managing work he had to there was just with what he was doing um was quite time sensitive so sometimes it was just unavoidable mm. uh, but it was just making sure that when he was taking it home it was because it was unavoidable mm. and not because of it. um mm -hmm. but also understanding that but also working out what was what was avoidable, what was unavoidable. So a lot yeah. of the time, he's, you know, a lot of time he's doing the work just because he felt that he had to. But so what, what we did was we we um, we put a little bit of a traffic light scheme into place. So we had everything got put into three boxes. It was either you know the red, the amber, or the green. So anything that was in red had to be done, and it, it was just non-negotiable. The amber was well, if he had time, he could look at it, and the green stuff was stuff that he could absolutely deal with tomorrow. It wasn't gonna wasn't gonna explode or come into an absolute you know, uh -huh. in the morning. And, and and in the past, anything, it, all, everything went home with them. And so we got to a point where we were able to, you know, the, the green box was being treated as a green box and it was being left at work. Uh -huh. and, and, and it was also working on a few strategies about when he was going home, he wasn't thinking about the green box either. So that the green box was just a green box and something that he came into in the morning and wasn't sort of there at the, the back, of his, back of his mind in the evening. So that we, we greatly reduced, you know, what he's, what he's having to do. Sometimes we almost need permission to switch off or to leave it till tomorrow. Do you think the expectations got so high now that we take our work home with us? Exactly. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, you know, the thing with um with him is that you know he had high levels of um perfectionism, um and 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 because of that was the reason he's in the role he's in in the first place. You know, it was a mm. highly selective process to get to where he was, mm. and he demonstrated over year again, again, again that you know he had the skills and he had the ability to be where he was. And mm. he got there and everything was fine and he was coping until the, the situation arose at home. And then he, you know, the, the, he didn't have the, um, the, the bandwidth to cope. Mm. Yeah. So, so it was just reassessing where his energy was going and, and how he was managing it. Mm. Yeah, great. Thank you. So what are some practical steps or tips that you could give to employers that might be thinking that they need to do a bit more in this area? Well, 
I think, yeah, just start exploring the ideas of psychological safety and, um, and understanding what that means um, and really start looking at the idea of just giving people their space. And when people are coming to, coming to managers with issues, just start thinking about sympathy rather than solutions. So rather than when someone's sitting in front of you, not automatically reaching for your um for your policy document and starting to tick off everything that you do, just take a moment to pause and just allow someone to speak. And don't be looking at sort of pushing, you know, putting any balloons up straight away. Because sometime, and like I say, the, the you know, big thing we spoke about earlier was um the idea that prevention is much better than cure. And if you've got processes in place that allow people just to gently sort of let off a little bit of pressure every so often. It's going to prevent sort of any sort of major sort of escalation in regards to formal HR processes, um, people having time off, and, and all the subsequent sort of um, costs and issues that that sort of um, incurs. Mm. Mm. Great, thank you. Great. I think we're coming towards the end of our time. Is there anything else that you'd like to um, touch upon that we haven't yet mentioned? Um, no, I think we have covered pretty much much everything, Polly. So. Cool, thank you. And if people would like to get in touch with you, how, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, absolutely. My website, um, theassuredman.com. Um, and on there are all the um, contact details in regards to for, for messaging me. I'm also on LinkedIn. Fortunately, my mother had a bit of foresight um, back in the day. She named me Zane McCormack. So it's a very searchable name. So you, you know, <laughs> on LinkedIn, if you if you pop it in there, you're not going to have sort of um 30 or 40 of us popping up. It's just me, as far as I'm aware. So, so yeah, find me on LinkedIn, um, find me on social media um, or at zane at theassuredman.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. And, um, yeah, it's been a great conversation. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for having me, Polly. Thanks.